This is Bucks First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's really a perfect view, a preview, if you will, of what you can expect from this Democrat administration. I don't know who thinks that this is in any way a surprise. Uh, I certainly don't. What we have here is the National Guard defending, defending our sacred democracy. All the stuff we were hearing from the Democrats about how important it was because of Trump voters, of course. We're dangerous. Trump voters are dangerous. You can't trust them. Only 75 million of them, but you can't trust them. And they had to deploy National Guard all over D.C. in, in numbers no one has ever seen in living memory because of what exactly? Uh, because of the threat and because they want to have a show of force. That's what you would call this. If we were looking at another country that had gone through this, we'd say, oh, OK. So the new government wanted to engage in a show of force. That is exactly what happened. And they were all about how the National Guard was necessary because of the threat of imminent violence from Trump voters and white supremacists and insurgents and all the stuff that they said. But then we saw what they really think, what Pelosi and Schumer. Well, what do these elitist Democrats actually think of the National Guard? Well, they needed to be vetted for pro-Trump sympathies, which was offensive. Just the fact that that was even raised, that that was even talked about should enrage people. What is this all of a sudden? Now there are ideological tests that we run for the military to see if they're supportive of the former president. That's going to work out really well for the future of this country. That that's not going to lead to any problems. But now we see even more than before what the truth is here. The new regime's treatment of the National Guard here is, as I said, a perfect preview of their approach to everyday Americans. At first, it's all smiles and handshakes for the photo op. Then some Pelosi staffer hurries you out the servant's entrance, advises you to catch a bus as the door slams. They don't give a crap about you, me, and our National Guard. That's right. Doesn't matter. No, no thought given to this whatsoever. Here's the headline from Politico. Yesterday, dozens of senators and congressmen walked down our lines. This is a quote. Taking photos, shaking our hands and thanking us for our service, one National Guardsman said. Within 24 hours, they had no further use for us and banished us to the corner of a parking garage. Wow. Look at that. Quote, we feel incredibly betrayed. That's right. We feel incredibly betrayed. Is anyone even a little bit surprised by this? Here's more of the story. Thousands of National Guardsmen were allowed back into the Capitol late Thursday night after U.S. police officers, uh, U.S. Capitol Police, ordered them to vacate the facilities, sending them outdoors or to parking garages after two weeks of, of pulling security duty after the January 6th Capitol Hill riot. One unit, which was which was in the Dirksen Senate office building, was abruptly told to vacate the facility on Thursday. The group was told to rest in a nearby parking garage without Internet reception, with one electrical outlet and one bathroom stall for 5000 troops. Temperatures were in the 40s in Washington at the time. 
Yes. Democrats. Oh, they're going to be so good at governance. They're going to take care of us. They, they care about the troops. All that stuff about, you know, going after Vietnam vets and stretching on for decades and how it all came from the left and the undermining of our soldiers during a time of war, Iraq, Afghanistan. I mean, you know, we can forget it. the Democrat politicians really love the troops. Sure. They care so much about them. Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing. It's just amazing to see it, isn't it? Didn't even take didn't even take us 24 hours. Didn't take us 24 hours before we were able to see what Biden and the Democrats really think of the United States military. I mean, what what kind of respect do they really hold them in? You know, they're 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 useful sometimes, but, you know, some of them are Trump voters and the ones who aren't Trump voters. They're not fancy people. They're not hanging out with Pelosi and Schumer and all these other rich Democrat politicians that care so much about the working class. Oh, oh, and they care. Pelosi cares so much about minorities. This is the fundamental fraud of the Democrat Party, that they have these people who actually care in a deep and meaningful way about everyday Americans, the working class, the the poor, uh, about, you know, the National Guard, about minorities. Just just pick a group. That they care so much. Yeah. Banish them as soon as they were done with them. And, you know, this is this is just indicative of what you can expect from from the Biden administration, because they're going to get sloppy. That's one thing that you you know is going to happen. They're going to get sloppy because ultimately they don't have any real check on their behavior from the press or the media. They get lax. Biden and the Democrats, when they're in charge of things, they figure, well, we don't have to worry about it. It's not like anyone's really going to dig up the dirty laundry of good old blue collar Joe. So they, they figure they can kind of do whatever they want. And no big deal. Don't even have to worry about it. And then stuff like this happens and you'll see more. It's been it's been 24 hours. Basically now 48. But I mean, come on, it's the first week. We just had the inauguration on Wednesday and here we are already seeing that they do not really care. Now you'd say, oh, well, this is an overstatement. No, it's not. It's not. They had these, these National Guards. I spoke to people who are, are, are current and former military about this. They were all saying, um, why are they having them all sleep on marble floors? They have, they have sleeping bags. They've got you know, rucksacks. They've got pads to put down. I mean, they're all just going to sleep on the floor of the Capitol. First of all, why were they even called in in the first place? You didn't need to have 30,000 National Guard troops or 28,000 or 7,000, whatever the number was, 27,000. You didn't need that. It's insane. All right. You know, there, there was some some people, you know, who were who Trump voters or supporters made a very dumb decision on January 6th. And that's that's it. Everybody else is like, what the hell are you doing? There's not some huge movement. They're not, they're not going to overturn Inauguration Day or, you know, hold D.C. under siege. This was all lunacy, lunacy. But it's useful because Democrats, oh, they're, they're so scared of the Republicans. Oh, my gosh. Trump voters, they smell terrified of them. But they were all about the photo ops with the National Guard, 
all about making sure that we saw them defending our sacred democracy that Joe Biden was now going to steer back into the light of day. And then, you know, then things kind of just weren't as important to them anymore. Yeah, that's right. Oh, there's 5,000. You go into a cold garage, lie on the concrete. You've only pulled a 12-hour shift doing a completely unnecessary guard duty that we're making you do as the United States Congress, as the Democrat regime comes into power. Yeah, go lie on the concrete. Yeah, sure. That's that's what uh, you know. What do you what do you what do you National Guard people say? You know who who uh, I can just see Pelosi. You know hoorah. What what is it? Yeah, go hoorah on the concrete. There you go. That's how they actually. That's what they actually think. You think these politicians? I mean, say what you will about Trump. I'll say this, and this is why that lie in that news story from. August of 2020 about how he said, you know, that the troops were troops who were killed in battle or losers or something. Uh, Trump actually really respected the military. He thinks those guys are badasses and they're cool guys and gals, of course. But you know what I mean? He, he he's got nothing but love for the United States military. You just know that's just the kind of guy that that's part of his whole approach. That's his ethos. He likes brave, courageous go getters who likes the United States military. You think Pelosi cares about the military? Really? And Biden? Look, Biden's, he's just a big fraud, phony, phony. He does whatever he's got to do and whatever the moment is in order to keep getting elected. I mean, he's just a keep getting elected machine. Got a big grin, you know, and all kinds of work done around his eyes so he doesn't look like he's quite as old as he is. And, you know, it's all just optics. That's what we have now. We have an empty suit politician as the president. You know, you could love or hate Trump, but at least there was something going on there. At least there was a guy who came in who was shaking things up, who had a different vision, who had a lot of personality and a lot of ideas about what he wanted to do and was forceful. It was like, I want to get I want to do this. I want to get this done. This is what we're going to say. Joe Biden, it's all going to be, you know, what are the staff right? Where, where, where? A lot of that. And not to be mean, but you even see like Jen Psy. Look, Trump had ter- some terrible picks uh, for, especially in, in the first year of his term, terrible picks that he put around him. But he didn't, he wasn't a guy who'd been in politics for 10 or 20 or 30 years and, you know, knew who would work and what role and everything else. So I, I give him a little bit of a break on, on the first year picks because they, they were really bad. But I mean, they're bringing back like like Jen Psaki as the White House press secretary. This is just a deeply unimpressive person. I, I I'm, maybe she's nice. I, I, I have nothing against her. Never met her. Don't know her. You know, she could be a lovely person in a social setting. But this is somebody. Yeah. You know, like just Joe Biden's like going to be like so good. And like he's going to do all like the good things and like democracy and like freedom sometimes. And great. This is what we've got. This is where we are now. National Guard, thousands strong for a photo op and then told, go all share one bathroom and one electrical outlet for hours and hours and hours. Go sleep on the concrete. They're not in Baghdad. They're not taking enemy fire. Okay, they're here in the United States Capitol on Inauguration Day. I think we all recognize we could have done a whole lot better here, but Biden's people are in charge now. This is what you get. I know you're not surprised. I'm not surprised either. 
This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Speaking of Jen Psaki, who is the now White House press secretary, I guess she was State Department spokesman before, something like that. Spokesperson, of course. Sorry. Sorry. My pronouns are, you know what my pronouns are. How about that as an answer? My pronouns are, I don't get to choose because it is a fact of biological reality. You know, they've changed that now. I mean, I was, I was even joking around about this in the last few weeks. And, and sure enough, they have actually, the White House has changed this on forms now. So you can put your, your preferred uh, pronouns. But my pronouns are a fact of biological reality. So I don't have to tell you what they are. You know what they are. Um, and yet we have uh, Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki now is the White House press secretary. And you no doubt have picked up on the fact that the, uh, the, Biden administration is very devout. They're very devout adherents of the mask religion. Right now, the mask religion is rooted in some basic physiological and scientific fact. Of course, a covering will prevent some degree of of spittle and, you know, uh, aerosolized uh, exhalation moisture from spreading out more into the room. What does this do for the actual transmission of a virus that is so much smaller than the actual mesh in the mask? And the moment that you're not wearing the mask doesn't even really matter. Have you, anyway, there, there's a, but that's those are the questions that if we were actually talking about science, people could ask. You can't ask those questions anymore. You, know, you can't ask those questions. Uh, but the masking religion is very, very powerful. It's all about repeating the mantra and shaming anybody who does not adhere to it even though there are some points where you'd have to say there's no justification, there's no reason to believe that this is a serious, uh, that this is based in serious scientific fact. For example, around the issue of, you know, masking up between bites in a restaurant, right? How is that, that going to help anybody? Well, it doesn't. But that's part of the mask religion, and you're not allowed to question. Not a question. There is, um, in a very you know, very real way here, a moment in which we saw a uh, Jen Psaki asked a question. It's actually more than a moment. It's a little bit long. I wanted you to hear this, though, because on inauguration night, but, you know, Biden had signed a federal order saying that you have to mask on all federal property. That's now the new that's now the new standard. You got to mask because that's really going to bring down the virus. I mean, this whole it's all for show. But anyway. I remember when I was in the White House in May, everybody was wearing masks. Okay, I was at the White House in May. Everybody was wearing masks. Jen Psaki was asked, though, because the Biden family and he's got some granddaughters and look, they look like nice, nice young ladies. And, you know, the whole thing is fine. You know, I I, unlike libs, I'm not a psycho, so I don't unnecessarily and without any provocation or rationale, you know, trash third parties, family members, kids. You know, we don't do that. You know, we're, we're going to see now with with Biden in power. One thing we will do is prove that we're not the same kind of lunatic savages that the Democrat media are who just go after anybody. They go. They went after Baron Trump. They went after Melania. They go after everybody. I mean, Barron was like 10 years old when Trump started his time in office. But so but Biden's grandkids are there and they're taking photos. And guess what? They're all together. They're all hugging and they don't have masks on. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that this was like a crime against humanity. Well, turns out. Jen Psaki's got a different version. Play 14. 
why weren't President Biden and all members of the Biden family masked at all times on federal lands last night if he signed an executive order that mandates masks on federal lands at all times? At the inaugural... At the uh, memorial, yes. I, I think, Steve, he was... Celebrating uh, an evening uh, of a historic day in our country, and certainly he signed the mask mandate because it's a way to send a message to the American public about the importance of uh, wearing masks, how it can save tens of thousands of lives. We take a number of COVID precautions, as you know, here in terms of testing, social distancing, mask wearing ourselves, as as we do every single day. But I don't know that I have more for you on it than that. But as uh, Joe Biden often talks about, uh, it is not just important the uh, example of power, but the power of our example. Was that a good example for people who are watching who might not pay attention uh, normally? Well, Steve, I think uh, the power of his example is also uh, the message he sends by signing 25 executive orders, including um, almost half of them related to COVID. Uh, The requirements that we're all under every single day here to ensure we're sending that message to the public. Yesterday was a historic moment in our history. He was inaugurated as president of the United States. He was surrounded by his family. We take a number of precautions, but I don't think I think we have bigger issues to, to worry about at this moment in time it was a historic moment um excuse me excuse me it was a historic no no hold on the virus is like totally not like so dangerous when it's a historic moment jen is like so upset about this like why does she i just don't understand like i don't get it historic moment your new white house press secretary everybody there you go you're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh my gosh, like I am not done with Jen Psaki. Like she's the new White House press secretary and we're going to start having a lot of Jen Psaki time here because it's time for you to Psaki to me. Uh, yeah, uh, she, she did get asked another question that she didn't have a particularly... A particularly strong response to. Um, and it had to do with the fact that Joe Biden, for all the talk of he's a moderate, remember, he's a Democrat now. And there are certain certain guide, uh, cer- certain um, pieces of of ideology, of legislation. There's a framework you must operate within. There are lines you cannot cross as a Democrat. Now, not really ethical lines that's always i mean what the party dictates kind of like if you were dealing with the soviet politburo whatever the party says you must obey and there are some areas where they have been very clear on what the party wants what the party demands which brings me to the hyde amendment now this says that you can't have funding for internet essentially you can't fund abortion around the world with u.s taxpayer dollars you can't fund programs. You can't give give financial assistance to programs that are around the world that are that are promoting abortion or that are conducting uh, abortion procedures. And it's called the Hyde Amendment. It's been around for a long time. Uh, Joe Biden's got getting rid of the Hyde Amendment. Now, this used to be considered a third rail in politics, meaning that the Democrats, this was one very small area of abortion politics that Democrats admitted it seemed a little too extreme. So this was a this was a concession, which is very rare when it comes to anything having to do with abortion. This was a concession 
that they that the Democrats had been willing to make for some time. But as we know, with Democrats, it's always it's like establishing a, a ceasefire with a a hostile and power mad enemy. Right. They, they'll just decide at some point, oh, now we can get what we want. I mean, I saw a fascinating, uh, fascinating exchange today on Twitter where some blue check liberal was, guys, just so you know, if if the Democrats get rid of the filibuster, it's only because the Republicans would have done it at some point anyway. Oh, that's really interesting logic, considering Republicans have been in the majority and had power for four years with Donald Trump, the alleged, you know, authoritarian dictator. And that never happened. Somehow that never happened. But we're supposed to believe, oh, no, it would totally happen. So now we're going to do it. That was the justification. You know, this is uh, gosh, it reminds me of that most humiliating moment that those of you who have siblings, particularly if you're, you know, you, you got a brother and you're, you know, you're a guy, and you got a brother is it's one thing when they would, you know, punch you in the arm or give you a. Uh, you know, a wedgie or something. It's another thing when they're when your brother was was old enough than you and, and older enough than you and strong enough that he'd hit you in the face with your own hands a little bit and tell you to stop hitting yourself. That's that's really what Democrats like to do. We're going to we're going to get rid of the filibuster and it's your fault because you would have done it if we didn't do it. What? <laughs> how does how does that make any stop hitting yourself? Stop hitting yourself. That's what they're doing. Some of you know exact. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you have kids, you you might have seen the older boy of two of your sons. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate sibling humiliation is when the older brother smacks the younger brother in the face with his own hands. Stop hitting yourself. But Jen Psaki is going to have to defend a lot of this Joe Biden stuff. There's no way around it. And they like to tell us that he's a moderate. He's got that big grin and those super whitened teeth and the whole thing. And. Ultimately, he's still a Democrat, which means that on the issue of abortion, he is a de facto extremist because the Democrat Party has taken an absolutist position on abortion, that it is it is a special right in that there can be no. First of all, it's a right that doesn't exist in the Constitution. Put aside for a second that it's evil and immoral. Uh, it's a right that doesn't exist in the Constitution that they created in the Constitution. And then it's somehow the only constitutional right, even though it's not in the Constitution in any way, shape or form, that can have no restrictions or limitations on it whatsoever. Speech limitations, right to bear arms limitations, right? All, all kinds of stuff. Limitations, abortion, anytime you want, anywhere you want. And now federal funding for it. So now you have to pay for it. Now you're essentially being made to be complicit in this. And Jen Psaki has asked this question, and I just I just have to laugh about this one, uh, although it's not. I mean, obviously, it's a horrific issue. It's not funny at all. But I have to laugh at Jen Psaki, who ah, we're going to look, we're going to have a lot of. A lot of sake time over the next uh, couple of years, at least. So get ready for it. But here she is when asked about the Hyde Amendment and the Mexico City question. Uh, play it. Two big concerns for pro-life America. The Hyde Amendment, which, of course, uh, keeps taxpayer dollars, as you know, from paying for abortions, Medicaid abortions. And the Mexico City policy, which under the previous administration they expanded. To keep the tax dollars from overseas paying for abortions. So what are President what is President Biden planning on doing on those two items right now? Uh, well, I think we'll have more to say on the Mexico City policy in the coming days. Um, uh, but I will just take the opportunity to 
remind all of you that he is a devout Catholic and somebody who attends church regularly. Uh, he started his day attending church with his family this morning, um, but I don't have anything more for you. Let me just, I think I might have I might have gotten I threw together the Hyde Amendment Mexico City policy. So just for clarity, Hyde Amendment is about domestic funding of abortion with taxpayer dollars and which is really going on anyway, though, because Planned Parenthood gets money and funds are fungible, as you know. But anyway, and then the Mexico City policy has to do with the donations to uh, anything that provides abortion abroad. So for po- point of clarity there. But notice that she goes, Joe Biden is, a, is Joe, Joe Biden's a devout Catholic. Well, that's interesting because the Catholic Church, give it credit, and, you know, I'm a Catholic, the Catholic Church is sound on the, and clear on this issue. Abortion is wrong. Abortion is a grave sin. Abortion is the taking of a human life. You cannot do this. This is bad. This is evil. And yet Joe Biden is a public official. Even worse, we are all, we are all sinners. We know that, right? We all sin. We all commit offenses against God and, and in, a, in a sense against ourselves every time we we fail to live up to, to who we are and, and, and our own and our standards of ethics, morals and, and decency. Um, but it's another thing when you're a person in a tremendously powerful and influential position who is effectively pushing for everyone else to sin. That's even worse. Right? Pushing for everyone. It's not just Joe Biden you know, who who might on a personal level or, you know, push somebody that he knows to do this or something like that. This is everybody should do this. This is better for everybody. And he's got power. It's not even just that he has an opinion. She brings up she brings up that Joe Biden's a devout Catholic. And I tell you right now, it's a problem for the Catholic Church. They should deny Joe Biden communion. Full stop. They should deny Nancy Pelosi communion. There, there's no question here that they are in violation of, of a core Catholic Belief from the church. And there's there's no wiggle room on this one. And they're public officials and they advocate for this. They should not be active participants in celebrating the Eucharist. And they should not be at Catholic mass or at least not receiving uh, the sacrament, I should say, of communion at a Catholic mass. Joe Biden should be cast out until he amends his ways, until he. So if you can talk about being a devout Catholic. That's not a oh, I go to church. So, you know, I could be like a mass murdering psychopath who wants abortion all over the world. No, that's not how it works. But it was an early reminder, no matter what religion you are, it's an early reminder of Joe Biden is just a flimsy fraud. God doesn't really stand for anything except getting Joe Biden elected and then being an instrument for the desires of the Democrat Party, because that's his team. That's who puts him in power. It's tough to know even what he believes. Does he really believe in anything? Or is it all just a jumble of speeches in his head, including speeches that he, just asked Neil Kinnock, uh, plagiarizes from people? I'm just wondering, what does Joe Biden really believe? What's Joe Biden really all about? I don't even think Joe Biden knows. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. I think more and more Republicans, I'll be surprised if we don't have near near a unanimous belief that impeaching a president after they leave office is unconstitutional on the Republican side. And I think we'll pick up at least one Democrat, maybe more. So tonight, I want to tell your viewers that people listen to your program. 
that Senator McConnell's come up with a plan that I think is good for the country, good for the Senate, fair to the president. The president has a very good legal team, a great legal team, and we're going to fight like hell to make sure that the second impeachment of Donald Trump uh, ends as quickly as possible, either dismissed or with an overwhelming vote for acquittal. They better dismiss or vote for acquittal. What what lunacy? I mean, I know Mitch McConnell is a he's an institutionalist. He's a guy who, you know, very much believes that the Senate is a, is a sacred institution. And he has been a a high priest of that of the, the church of the Senate, if you will, for a long time. But getting rid of Donald Trump after Trump has already left office is just insane. I mean, I know why Democrats want to do it. And mind you, it's it's a real combination I mean, you could make the case that it's all about the humiliation of Trump and the humiliation of Trump voters. That's true. But beyond that, you could make a case that it's because they're worried that Trump could come back and win. And I think that's real. I think that's true. I mean, I believe that that Donald Trump, depending on how the next four years go and how he positions himself and also, look, we got to see how this Biden administration does. You know, friends, if the Biden administration presides over a booming economy, no new wars, and uh, doesn't just do anything disastrous, well, I'll still be fighting with them on things like changing the pronouns uh, or changing the section about you know choosing your pronouns on all White House forms. But you know, overall, I'm not going to tell you it's a disaster if it's not. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be a disaster. Democrats, they, they pulled this whole thing. It's all, it's all just built on this rickety foundation of this almost 80-year-old guy who is a, a mediocrity at best that no one's inspired by, that no one's... But it was, we can use all of the apparatus seas. We could use all of the media muscle, everything we've got to push this guy through. That's what it was. That was the whole point. Right. We can make this guy president and beat Trump. That was the only calculation. Nobody sat around saying, yeah, you know, it'd be really great. You know, it'd really be a game changer. A Joe Biden presidency. That'd be really great. No one. I don't even think Joe Biden thinks that. Oh, maybe. Now, now the Biden name, the guy's a president. Think of all the portraits and the big photos and the presidential library. And, you know, the Biden kids are going to be and grandkids are going to be dining out on this one for the rest of their lives. Right. So they're all good to go now. Biden's already rich. Isn't that interesting? He's rich. But how? Well, no one's allowed to ask those questions. He's about to get a whole lot richer. The whole family, the whole name, the brand. So getting rid of Trump, though, after the fact, it would be if the GOP does that. I mean, if GOP senators do that, I, I worry that there will just be a, a kind of G, there'll be a, a nullification of the party from the base. Where they'll just say, we're done. We're sitting this one out. Let's just let the Democrats run the whole thing because we don't even we don't even care. You know, just batten down the hatches. Hold your loved ones close. Think about moving to, uh, you know, New Zealand or something, although they're really strict on the covid stuff. So that's not where I would go. I'd go somewhere with a little more spice. Um, but I'm just saying that there there's the the implosion of the GOP that would occur if they were to take this action against Trump is so obvious and anybody who doesn't see it that way doesn't have the interests of Republicans and conservatives and the Constitution and the rule of law in their minds. I think it's very straightforward. And then there's also 
the other people who are still in office who are getting all this pressure and have all these these uh, members of not just the media, but of Congress who are calling for their ouster. AOC uh, said this about her, her congressional colleagues. They're in the Senate. She's in the House. But congressional colleagues, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, play two. Well, you know, I think that um, the moment we get to a point where we are delaying, um, where we are almost where that delay is coming from us and where that delay is really starting to get in the way of justice, then we need to really start figuring out what, in fact, is going on. However, um, hey, if they want to delay it, let's bring up a vote to expel Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley from the Senate. You think they should be out? Because if we've got time on our hands— then we should be actually bringing justice to the members of Congress and the members of the Senate who also help support this insurrection. You think they should because be out? Let's not. I, they absolutely. If they don't resign, they should be expelled. Zero from the chance Senate. they resign. Represent Nobody the, resigns. Rep then, then we should hold the vote. AOC, assuming she's uh, put down the wine coolers for this interview, is uh, saying that they should kick out Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz. Okay. Okay. Why? What exactly did they do? They wanted to have a commission to present the evidence about allegations of voter fraud. I, I, that would have been a good idea. It, it, at least it would be worthwhile for the Congress to have the presentations, put it all out there. Let's see it in a place where it can be presented a matter of legal record, have the public see, have the exchange about what's true, what's not. I still get people sending me things. Sometimes I get stuff sent to me uh, from from listeners across the country and they say, well, what about what about this? And I say, look, I I've seen the, the data on this one. It turns out that that allegation was not true. There were some fraud allegations that were not true. But there are other ones where they send it to me and I say, I agree. We don't know. We don't have the answers to this. How did this happen? Well, why is why does it seem like there was an overvote or why does it seem like they uh, they they didn't check the signature match properly or any number of things. But even for using even for for having the temerity, according to AOC, do you think she knows what the word temerity means? Maybe 50 50, even for having the temerity to push to use the system within the system. But it was still for the overall cause of exposing voter fraud. Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, two U.S. senators, must be expelled, must be removed, we are told. This is crazy, but this is the way it is right now. This is where we are. This is how they're going to continue to do things. They want payback. They want to punish their political enemies. AOC at the uh, at the front of the line, really, she's really hoping to, to accomplish that. So we'll just sort of continue to uh, see if they're able to get their way here by expelling Trump after the fact. That's crazy. But obviously, they're not going to get rid of Cruz or Hawley. But the fact that they're even trying shows you what they're really all about. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. Can you talk a little bit about, about how you feel 
kind of released from from what you had been doing for the last year? Yeah, but you said I was joking about it. I was very serious <laughs> about it. I wasn't joking. Uh, no, actually, I mean, I mean, obviously, I don't want to be going back, you know, over history. But it was very clear that there were things that were said, uh, be it regarding things like hydroxychloroquine and other things like that. That really was an uncomfortable because they were not based on scientific fact. I can tell you, I, I take no pleasure at all in, in being in a situation of contradicting the president. So it was really something that you didn't feel that you could actually say something and there wouldn't be any repercussions about it. The idea that you can get up here and talk about what you know, what the evidence, what the science is, and know that's it. Let the science speak. It is somewhat of a liberating feeling. I mean, you have basically vanished for a, for a few months uh, there for a while. <laughs> you feel like you're back now? I think so. <laughs> hey, hey, Dr. Fouch. Hey, here he is doing a little victory dance. Do a little dance. Give a little Fouch. Mask up tonight. Yeah, mask up tonight. Dr. Fouchy. Doing his thing. I can't believe that we have this this smug bureaucrat that we have to deal with again. We have to deal with more of this guy. I, I, I'm I'm sitting here and I am flabbergasted. I mean, this is really this is really where we are. This is really what we've got. Gotta have Doctor Fauci telling us all the things. Does this think? Does anyone think this is going to make the situation better? Now we're going to have him. What do you think he's going to tell people that they don't? This is always my big question. What do you think he's going to tell people that they don't already know? R- really curious about this. What What is he going to tell people they don't already know? I I just have to say we've heard this stuff a million times from this guy. Got to wash your hands. You got to social distance. You know, the data. I listen to the science. This this notion that they have clear, provable, demonstrable, scientific conclusions about this virus and about things about it, that there's real debate about um, is just nonsense. There's so much that they don't know. He, he acts like there's this thing called there's, there's this book that has pages in it and it's just called science and everything in that book is true. And anyone who questions it doesn't know what they're talking about. And this is why one of the reasons why I get so angry about the whole social media thing, because what we see is that with social media, they ban people based on what the consensus opinion is at any point in time on things that have to do with public policy. Now, we're not talking about. You know, threats of violence. We're not talking about anything like that on things that are supposed to be or that should be um, open to debate and discussion. If the consensus at one point and, and remember, there, there is no such thing as a pure scientific consensus on so many of these questions. Here's an example. I, I take people through this process. I do this all the time. They'll say, oh, but you don't believe this or you don't believe that. And I say, OK, hold, hold on a second. It's about science, right? How effective are masks? I'll ask that question. And don't say very or kind of or perfect or anything like that. 
uh, perfectly. How effective are masks? And I never get it. I said, well, that's not I mean, it's not science to say I think they work really well. But, you know, we don't know. Right. OK. Uh, now, remember, people would say, well, they wear them in a clinical setting and everything else. Well, yeah, there's a whole bunch. We all know that there's spittle that can come out of people's mouths. If you're up close to somebody in a hospital setting, you know, in, in a in a clinical setting, you you want to prevent just the additional exchange of germs in that limited space. And they also change the masks and they wear them the whole time and they have training and what to do. And they're also wearing N95 masks if they're so all, all of that is is going into this. But when I just ask a question, they say it's a matter of science. And I say, OK, show me the data. You know what they do? They show you, oh, well, this is what we we ran some experiment where we did this thing and we think it kind of mimics the situation. It's the same thing with treating models as though it's science. Models are a projection based upon data. They can be pretty accurate, very accurate, or not accurate at all. They can be completely wrong. And you don't know because it's a projection about the future. This is the same problem we run into with climate change stuff. All of our decision-making around climate change is based on the faulty, yes, there's this, I, I understand the theory about CO2 in the air creating a warming effect, although now they say it's climate change, but I think they're going back to its warming, but maybe it'll just be climate change again. But it, it's all based on models. And ask anybody who relies on models to predict the stock market or even an individual stock, and that's where people have a lot of resources to put into it and being right matters and they still get it wrong. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. That's not science. That's prediction. Prediction is not science. And that's why when they say things like, listen to the science, if you wear masks, it'll save 50,000 lives, according to experts. Really? How can we ever check that? How could we ever say, you know what? It turns out those guys were wrong. You, you can't. You're not going to save uh, you're not going to save 50,000 lives. You only saved, uh, you know, 500 lives or 5,000 lives or maybe whatever it may. It doesn't. The point is, this is just a, a, a statistic they're throwing out there. They're saying it will something would happen unless you do what we tell you to do now. And then you'll never know if that thing even happened or not. Right. You, you can't you're trying to prove something that can't really be proven. But that's what they offer you as science and data. This is why they're so insistent. This is why they're so they're they're so devoted to this. It just it just drives me nuts. I see they're just they're saying things that are wrong. They're making assertions that and, and I'm not saying that I understand the science or I have some scientific. I don't have to. It's about argument. It's about fallacy. Reason, logic. Those are the things that I'm applying here. I don't pretend to know the science. This is the same reason why I tell people that based on the data you've seen, if you're at high risk, I think the vaccine is probably a very good idea. My own loved ones and family members, I advocate for them to get the vaccine who are at risk. But do I think that, you know, young people who are at very low risk should get it? I think it's up to them. Right. Uh, and when I say young, I mean, I'm talking about under under 60. Uh, so Dr. Fauci, though, here. With his big grin and his, you know, yeah, now I'm all good. That oh god, the hydroxychloroquine and the whole thing. I mean, okay, there there was a there was a time when people were thinking that maybe hydroxychloroquine would provide some degree of protection against this. Um, and 
And it turned out that we we weren't actually really able to do. I mean, I haven't seen any clinical trials or studies of this. Some places uh, initially were producing data saying they thought that it worked. Other places were producing data saying it didn't work at all. But then there was it became a political issue because Trump talked about it. It shouldn't be political at all. It should be very straightforward. They should have just run a control, a controlled trial. Give, you know, give a thousand people, you know, because you take hydroxychloroquine for malaria overseas. It's very common usage. People take it for uh, for lupus, I think for uh, rheumatoid arthritis as well. They should have run an actual trial, actual science and then prove it. And that would have been it. But instead, it became a political issue. Instead, it became, oh, Trump said it. So it must be it must be wrong. Um, and, and him saying that he can speak without fear of repercussions. Yeah, that's a lie too, Fouch. Why doesn't he go on TV and say there is no there is no strong evidence to indicate that you should you should wear a mask outside in fresh air um, if you're not in a crowd? Why can't he just say that? Does anybody want to try to prove that that's a, an incorrect statement? I would love to see that data. The biggest transmission studies they've done on outdoor transmission show, you know, maybe maybe one in 4000 cases, I think was what China showed or one in 400 cases might involve outdoor transmission. Maybe. Uh, so but so we have to mask up because it's outside, you know, at what point is it unreasonable to ask this? People mask up alone in their cars. They ma- they're being told in some places to mask up when they're at home in their own homes. When does it become unreasonable? Let's establish what that what that line and the people that are telling you to worry so much about this, as we remember just from uh, from before in the show with Jen Psaki answering the question about Joe Biden and his family. The people who are telling you to be the most concerned about this are uh, people who. Let's be real. They don't care that much when you're not looking, when you're not paying attention, they think that they should be able to get away with not asking. They think that they should be in a position to, you know, not have to worry about it. And you say, well, hold on. I thought this was about the science and saving us and doing all this stuff. Nah. Turns out that's that's not the case. Well, I mean, they'll say that. I mean, they might feel that way. But for as individuals, they have a very a very different view of of all of this. So. Uh, oh, and then there's there's something else that I wanted to wanted to talk to you about with with Fauci. Uh, the Democrats are telling a great big fat lie about vaccination programs right now around COVID-19. And we should address that lie. 